1: boys come on boys boom the boys are back and in kind of a two-pronged thing where um, I am trying to kind of get away from instant reaction shows because all of you guys think I'm too emotional when I record immediately after a K State basketball game. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll we'll be able to talk a little bit about the K-State versus Oklahoma women's game as well, moving that basketball show to Friday. I have a highly requested, highly anticipated episode for you all. I said I was going to wait for everything to become official. Uh, to do this show and then sure enough right after I said that on an episode six hours later it became official we are going to talk about the new direction at offensive coordinator for K-State and while I say we I think you guys uh, appreciate my or my opinions Uh, but when it comes to something this big replacing Colin Klein we had to bring in the big guns he is one-third of the K-State Online Sunday Show, wildly popular on YouTube and wherever podcasts can be found. He is the man who has single-handedly changed the way every single K-State fan watches football and basketball. He has taught me so much about both those sports and made me hate Two-point jump shots. He is the man who, for a while, made me defend Courtney Messingham because, really, it wasn't that bad. Things just kind of weren't very fun. He is going to get us all ready for the Connor Riley-era at offensive coordinator and playing calling. He is the man, the myth, the legend. You know him as KSU underscore fan on Twitter and on K-State Online. I know him as one of the best humans in the world, Jimmy Goheen. Jimmy, welcome to the show. You're recording this freshly minted off of a snow day. It's not that this isn't going to publish until, you know, January 10th. So you'll probably be back, you know, in, in the classroom then. But uh, how are you doing? And, and I hope... uh hope that introduction makes uh, both both your kids uh, squirm because <laughs> you know, they hate it when I when I uh, jazz you up so much so how are you doing?
0: I'm doing well um it will make them squirm for sure um, uh, but like you said <clears throat> tomorrow which will be yesterday when the show is is on it will be a snow day for me and as a as a teacher I think I've said this before. I think maybe even on the show with you one time in the last couple of years, a snow day for a teacher is even more exciting than a snow day for a kid. So uh, people are excited. Um, We'll see how much it actually snows. Looks like it might get a pretty good amount here in uh, Judge City, Manhattan area, which will be interesting to see.
1: Yeah, so as of recording this, uh, you know, late afternoon, early evening on January 8th, not a lot has stuck here in Shawnee, at least on uh, any concrete, a little bit in the grass. Um, It's mainly wet in my backyard, so uh, Chauncey has been tracking in a lot of mud. Uh, because he hates it when I usher him off into the bathroom to try to wash his feet off. Oh, man. He is the most affectionate and loving dog in the world, but he's going to put a juke on me like he's Deuce Vaughn as I'm trying to get him, corral him in, into a spot where I can clean my paws as he's tracking everything in. It's it, it's quite awesome. Um, and You know, I, 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 I still work from home. My team still works from home at the secret day job, so um, nothing changes for me in the snow. I, I do remember one time, uh, no one cares about this, but I'm going to tell you this story. Um, I had never, uh, you know, worked from home at my previous day job. I went in. It wasn't a horrible community. You know, it wasn't an issue. But I had to go from the Northland in Kansas City down to Platte County, Kansas City, down to downtown where my office is. Um, and I, I didn't want to work from home. It's like, all right, you know, I leave my laptop in the office. So I, you know, I, I leave my work there, you know, oh, how how times have changed. But one time I went in and everyone, everyone was going to work from home because uh, they all took their stuff home over the weekend. I'm like, no, I'm going in on Monday. I'm not going to be tempted to do extra work on the weekend. I was trying to do this whole work-life balance stuff. When I tell you it was the most insane commute in to work in a corporate office where Next to nobody was there. It was just one of the dumber things I've ever done in my life. Driving on all these, uh, you know, bridges that were iced and snowed over. The only thing that I've ever done in my life that is dumber was driving from Topeka to Manhattan for that K-State-Iowa State football game. I should have died 13 times on both those drives, Jimmy. Um but you know, long story short, short. I don't have to worry about it. I just have to worry about Chauncey tracking and mud, Um, and that's it, all I have there.
0: It is sad to say that it was probably more fun to drive looking back to work than to that Iowa State game.
1: Oh my! Like I, I'm not <laughs> kidding. I, so I, I think I said this on the show. Uh So my friend Matt and his his girlfriend Heather, they came down from Chicago. That was like I think only the was go, going to be only the second game they went to in Manhattan. Uh, and I hmm. said, yeah, you know, let's all go together. Let's go to Manhattan Brewing Company before. And I'm driving in my Ford Fusion. Um, and by the time I got to like Maple Hill, I was like, oh, my God, I need I should I should turn around. But, you know, I'm like, no, we're, we're, you know, they, they're down from Chicago for Thanksgiving. Uh, we're going to go to this game. And oh, my. it. I mean, it took me like close to two hours to drive from Topeka to Manhattan. Um, it was disgusting. Honestly, I'm surprised. It was better coming back, but it was it was gross. <laughs> yeah. All right.
0: I can you. Yeah.
1: Before we get into it, okay, there's our fun little introduction. and I, I, I mentioned them, you know, the only brewery in the world that's worth driving through blizzard conditions seeing and we counted it up 29 cars off in ditches. From Topeka to Manhattan. We counted it. 29 cars and ditches. Also, I could go and tailgate at Manhattan Brewing Company. Look, uh, if you're listening to this on release date, uh, you might be going to the women's game on sa- uh, on Wednesday. You might be going to the women's game on Saturday. The following week, we got two games for the men in Bramlage Coliseum. Make it part of your new game day ritual when you're going to a basketball game to get a pint, a four-pack and a crowler to go at manhattan brewing company they have all sorts of great stuff you need to get in there and try and guess what if you're doing the whole dry january thing they have non-alcoholic beverages non-alcoholic uh cocktails they have you taken care of it is the spot to be before any event in manhattan and be smart don't drive home just stay in manhattan and hit their hit, hit them up post game as well all right uh Let's start things off. I, I want to level set when we're talking about the offense uh, because I, I almost kind of see some detractors and, and this isn't going to be a Colin Klein love fest. I'm over it. I don't want to see any Colin Klein highlights and any hype videos for you know a year or two, um, but I do want to level set. when When you're looking at this year's offense, comparing it to other years, either in the climbing era or just in the history of K-State or versus all the peers this year, how truly good was the offense?
0: Yeah, I think this one is probably up there with any K-State offense we've seen that's been really good. 2012 um, in the metric era, the metric era really only goes back to about 2007 or six. Uh, Before that, we don't have very good data-based or drive-based metrics out there. Um, but 2012 was a top 10 offense in the F plus ranking, and in uh, <clears throat> points for drive stuff like that. Uh, and then you probably go back to maybe 2003, 1998 as as top flight offenses for K State. We don't have the we just have per game dra- data for those, so uh, can't not as easy to compare because of pace. But last year's offense was number it's number nine currently, and the F plus probably will stay there. So it's a top 10 offense in the what I consider the best uh, combined offensive metric out there because it combines two of the best, Bill Connolly's system and Brian Fremont's system, into one. So top 10 offense, 3.03 points per drive, which was number 11 nationally. Um, I think the 2012 offense is the only other one we've had over three points per drive, which is a very significant number. 54.6% yardage rate, which was number 19 in the country. Only thing that wasn't great, we weren't super explosive, 6.13 yards per play, which was number 41 uh, in the country. But, again, Big 12 only, 3.16 points per drive, so even better than the the, the full season, 41.5% touchdown rate, um, and that's non-garbage. That was number one in the Big 12. Points per drive was number one in the Big 12, and yardage rate was number four in the Big 12 uh, league games only. And then you go back to the year before that, so we have two years of Colin Klein's offense Uh F plus was number 20 in 2022 points per drive was number 28 at 2.68 and yards rate was number 37 at 52.1%. But in big 12 play was even better. 3.21 points per drive and 2022 number one in the big 12, 40% touchdown rate number one in the big 12 and a 58% yardage rate number one in the big 12. So basically <clears throat> league only games, Colin Klein led the best offense in the league each of the last two seasons. And, top 20 offenses each of the last two seasons, and then this year bumped even to a top 10 offense. So that's pretty good if if you're looking at the way we complain about our offensive line this year, the way we complain about our receivers this year, the way we complain about our quarterback at times this year. To put together that sort of an offense is very impressive at Kansas State, considering this is not a school with blue chip ratio, 80% talent, um, a lot of developed guys, and I just think he's done a great job um, I'm with you. I'm not gonna make a love fest uh with him going to AM. I wish him luck, but I gotta give him credit where credit is due.
1: No, for sure. And then um before I move on to this next one, because i I I said this in my year review, and I said this a couple times in season. I'm gonna run this past you and you can tell me if I'm an idiot or not. Um I, I always said with some of the criticism with the offensive line and uh, you know, I'm not going to get into the quarterback stuff. I I'm so over that. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> you and I talked about will hard. I'm not going to do it again, but with the offensive line, my theory, and this kind of goes hand in hand with when you're watching mm-hmm. it, your college basketball team with free throws and with turnovers for the most part, sometimes your team just sucks. But I, I feel like K-State's offensive line, even when we were harping on them, I mean, it's because we're watching them every single play over the entire season um, yeah I I mean I I don't know I, I don't know if there's any metrics or anything or just go where I test I felt like yeah we are frustrated but when you sit down if you were to watch 13 other games across the nation I'm not sure how many I'm probably less than 10 that you would have would have said hey that offensive line's better
0: yeah I, I think that's accurate I think um also I think people our fans especially got caught up in the experience just that we brought everybody back and that was a huge talking point. Um, and then you have, <clears throat> I think you get caught up with the individual because Cooper Beebe's, I think the best offensive lineman ever at K-State. I agree with you. He's a Regan honor, should be a lock. Um, and I think KT Leviston was a very good offensive lineman. I think you have those two guys that were very solid. I think our other three were, were solid players, but None were the stalwarts of those two, especially Cooper Beebe. So, you did have some weaknesses there, so to speak. But again, they were what in the top the the nominated for that top six offensive lineman award. In the season, I think actually went to Washington's offensive line was the was the winner. So, they had a good season. I think also you have the Texas game where we could not run the ball at all, which factors in. And then some of the struggles early when uh, Duffy was out and Willis was struggling a little bit. And then toward the end of the season, Willis maybe was the third best offensive lineman on this team. So that kind of came around for us. So you got a bunch of factors there. Um, Needless to say, you know, I think there was a post about uh, uh, 28 coming back and what the offensive line is going to look like next year. And there's actually, number one, quite a bit of experience on that group. And number two, um, I think some pretty good players. We're we're not going to have Cooper Bibi, but it could be, one of those situations where the sum of its parts is better than uh, the one individual that we taught about this year. So we'll see what happens, but I'm encouraged about the offensive line going into next year.
1: Awesome. I I love a little bit of extra offensive line talk and making (laughs) me feel like I wasn't an idiot for saying, Hey guys, (laughs) maybe chill out a little bit. Um, Which also for the record, I, I, again, this is, like vintage Bosco's boys where I have an outline and I'm going rogue. There's a random woman who found me saying that. I don't know if Jason Kelsey is a hall of famer. He's definitely not like a first ballot. And she was going off on me just saying, I don't know ball and all this type of stuff. She's from Kansas city. And she's talking about how she knows like voters. And I pointed out a couple of stuff and I said, Hey, you just need to chill out. And she was calling me a misogynistic, uh, you know, person for telling her to chill out. And I was like, uh, first off, I say this to everyone when I'm arguing about sports, and then pulled up 32 tweets. Um, so me just telling <laughs> folks to chill out about the offensive line right there just kind of triggered that in the back of my head. Like maybe I should not, maybe I shouldn't tell everyone to chill out. Uh, but quite you frankly, know? it would have been misogynistic if I treated her different than arguing uh, sports with anyone else. So uh, to Joanne, um, wherever you are, if you find this podcast, uh, more proof that I just tell everyone to chill out. And maybe that makes me a prick, but I'm not misogynistic. All right. What was your initial reaction? How's that for transition? What was your initial reaction when the Texas A&M news started coming up? You know, we were all at the Villanova game. Uh, Were you super doom and gloom? Were
0: you like, "Uh, you know,
1: it sucks, but hey, I think we're going to figure things out. Just walk me through your emotions when that
0: news was breaking. Yeah, probably more toward the latter. I I was I was disappointed just because I did not think that would be number one. I didn't really think he was. Le- I thought after we dodged Notre Dame last year that he probably wasn't going to leave. I was a little surprised uh, that it would be Texas A and M, just because it seems like a program where coaches have gone to struggle and and suffer lately. Um, you know, if, if you spend 70 plus billion to buy out your coach, um, that's talks about how kind of crazy your fan base is. Um, but then, you know, number one, there must be some sort of fit with Mike Elko, who I think is a pretty good coach. Um, I think there's probably certain freedoms that he's going to have under Elko, uh, even though is also a defensive coach, just like Chris Kleiman, I, I do think Chris Kleiman likes to have a little more say. And I, that's not a bad thing. It's not a critique on Climate. I just think um, there perhaps were more freedoms put in place with Elko. Um, and obviously there's going to be a, a much bigger salary involved with coaching at Texas A&M. Um, I'll, I'll say this. I think th- the timing wasn't great, but looking back now, I think it was about, handled as well as it possibly could have been from all sides, both K-State and, um, Colin Klein. I, you know, I, there's a really good interview with Mitch Fortner and Connor Riley from last Friday on the game. Um, I think it's the only interview out there so far right now with Connor Riley. So if you haven't listened to that, go find the game podcast because it really is insightful uh, because Riley talked about how tumultuous it was, um, Going through that situation, even climbing telling him, hey, this is going to be this could be a rough spot if we don't handle this well. And I think that staff handled it well. Um, going back to Klein, I, I think Colin probably could have stayed here and been safe and been maybe the next in line. Uh, the, the The leader in the clubhouse to be the next head coach if he wanted to be. But I also think there's something to say about <clears throat> going somewhere else, learning some new things. Um, reinforcing some connections in Texas Um, and if he's successful and if he wants to getting a job quote unquote better than K-State. So there's, there's some positives for Klein, but there's also some negatives. Like if it goes poorly, um, he can probably always come back to K-State, but it's not going to be quite the, the homegrown. You've just built a top 10 and top 20 offense back to back type of deal. And you don't get a chance to coach Avery Johnson, who's maybe the best quarterback recruit ever at K-State. So mixed bag there. Again, Texas A&M was the biggest surprise, but all told, I think it probably was a situation he felt was best for him. And uh, I wish him luck, but we're moving forward, and I'm going to focus on K-State. Yeah,
1: I'm going to move forward. I I will say, uh, because I had the same thought about Notre Dame, I talked to someone who – is pretty close to the Colin Klein situation. And it sounds like he was going to go to no, he wasn't going to come back until he visited South Bend and it was an absolute shithole of a city. <laughs> so I, I I think we all probably had a little bit of false sense of uh, security when he turned down Notre Dame, when it turned yeah. out like, Oh, no sane person <laughs> actually want to like move their family to South Bend. Um but, hey, it is what it is. I- I'm with you, though. Let's move forward to Conor Riley. Um, what was your initial reaction uh, w- when it made it sound like he he would, at minimum, be the co-OC? Um, when he got that uh, title for the bowl game, I'll be 100% honest, when it initially happened, because um, I buy into the Brian Lapack as a legitimate genius, like IQ genius, smartest guy in the room, mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking, hey, and I I kind of painted Connor Riley into a box, saying, hey, you know, keep him on the field, have Brian Lapack do the interim OC. So in my head, I was like, that that's the way it should go. So I had a little bit of a hesitation early on with Connor Riley, but you know me, after kind of post mortem on my uh, own fandom during the Bruce here. I'm kind of a fall in line once the decision is made type of fan now. Um, What was your initial reaction when it sounded he was going to get the interim, which I think also signaled to all of us at a minimum, he was always going to be the co-OC.
0: Yeah. I, I, I was, I guess I was, I was pretty pleased with it. I thought, you know, if you're going to go in-house, he's, he's your most experienced offensive coach. He's been with coach Kleiman for 10 years, basically now between North Dakota state and here. He had a, a role at North Dakota state as a run game coordinator. So uh, there was some partial coordinator uh, roles there. And I think he was kind of run game coordinator here the last couple of years with Colin Klein. So you've got that experience. Um, I thought it was good to give him a chance against NC state. It's kind of the same format. We actually use uh, Klein actually uses the Colin Klein uh, in the LSU game. Uh, but I think the NC state game is a much better barometer than LSU with like 40 players left on the roster after Brian Kelly was hired. So, um, I was also kind of waiting and wondering who else would be hired because um, I was wondering how that would go. I kind of agree with you. Uh, Riley's. we talked about the offensive line, but I think Riley's a really good offensive line coach and has been super solid there. Um, so you wonder, can a guy be OC and offensive line coach at the same time and be the play caller? Uh, so who are you going to bring in uh, to help him? Um, but overall, I was good with him given the opportunity. And I think given the game, which we'll talk about, I think he passed and and would get a good grade from me for what he did for that game. And now it's moving on. And, and what what what's, what's this offense going to look like moving forward? I'll ask
1: specifically about the, the positives and the negatives uh, after you went back and charted it. But what was your initial reaction from the Pop-Tarts Bowl uh, media uh seats uh in the moment at the end of the game what what was like your gut feeling and then how much of that changed after you did go back and chart everything
0: yeah my initial reaction was was positive I thought uh you know as everybody had the reaction the the third quarter was not very pretty often the first half was excellent um and then the end of the game was excellent so you kind of had a little bit of a of a an issue in the middle um, with, with those four drives in the third quarter and to begin the fourth quarter where uh, K-State went three and out once and four and out a couple times and six and out one time, I think. So um, that was disappointing, but overall a good game. It was, then uh, looking at the, just the numbers points per drive wise, it was the best against the North Carolina state defense actually in the last two years, not just this past year. And it was, Uh, One of the better running games, I think it was a top three or four running game against NC state. uh, And I think it was one of the top three or four yards per passing uh, games against NC state. So uh, that that's been a really good defense for actually the last three years, it's been top 10, top 15 in the F plus the last three seasons. So that's a really good defense. Um, They were without Peyton Wilson, but we were without Brooks and Senate and, uh, on Ward. And so I, I would say those, those minuses and opt-outs even out. Um, so I just oh, go ahead. And then just with the charting, um, it was interesting because it was a bit different than Klein. Um, number one, uh, we used a lot more 12 personnel, even though we were kind of known for using 12 personnel for, with Klein Uh 12 personnel was only about a third of our offense with Colin Klein. And it was about 50% of the offense with Connor Riley in this game. So, and that's without Ben Sennett. I mean, that's what Oakley and Swanson is your, is your, is what I'm calling your 12, your tight end personnel. Um, even though a lot of times with us, some people would call it 21 personnel because, uh, uh Oakley, uh, Swanson was lined up at fullback a handful of times, six, seven times, but I still call it 12 because it's 12 personnel for us. And we use those H back tight end fullbacks is kind of a Swiss army type of position. Um, also, Klein may have done this some, but uh, Connor Riley definitely had one formation that we used a bunch. I I tweeted out a a segment about it the other day. 25% of our offense was twin receivers with an H-back to one side of the formation and a tight end to the other side of the formation. We ran a bunch of different stuff. We ran zone out of it. We ran some power out of it. And we ran some play action out of it. And it was successful. 110 yards in that formation. So over a third of our offense, 7.3 yards per play, and a 53% success rate. So that was really good. Um, 12 personnel overall was good with Oakley and Swanson on the field, uh, 5.9 yards per play and a 48% success rate. So that's really good. And then we only had a 33% success rate with 11 personnel. So just one tight end on the field, uh, the success rate was only 33%. But then the other thing was we – we used four wide quite a bit. Oakley was the main one that we would split out as a wide receiver with four wide receivers, three wide. And then Oakley as a, as a fourth wide, Uh, 36% of the offense was four wide, which is a little bit more than I would have thought Uh, only a 35% success rate, but it still gained 6.6 yards per play, which was one of the higher uh, yards per play numbers we had in the game. So that was interesting. And then, uh, just pretty even mix and run schemes. 50% of our running back run was running back power and about 42% was zone. So a good mix. And that kind of varied game a game even under Colin Klein. So that's hard to say if that was uh, a, a different type of strategy. Uh, and then what a lot of people notice, only two called quarterback runs before the final two runs uh, in garbage time to end the game and run out the clock. Uh, and And then – Dropback passing had been basically 33 or 34 percent of our offense this season and it was only 22 percent in this game so there were some differences as i looked at it and uh, some good stuff uh, but those are kind of the big picture general ideas of of what i noticed in game and then charting it out so if you had
1: to do kind of like a stock report where were you you know uh you know trajectory your opinion on connor riley as a play caller was it higher after you went back and watched it versus when you're walking out of the bowl game lower or just about
0: the same i would say slightly higher um to go back and and watch it you mentioned some of the positive sides yeah i obviously had a really good game plan to start that game Um, k-state in the first half was at 4.2 points per drive eight yards per play 53 percent success rate and the run game in the first half was really really good um 120 yards rushing, if you don't include the fake punt, 7.5 yards per rush and a 69% success rate in the run game in the first half. So K-State was spot on, um, really good. For the game, just the zone run game had a 54% success rate and 6.6 yards per rush, which you'll take any time. Play action was good, 98 yards, seven yards per play, 50% success rate in play action. Um, And then I think Even though quarterback run wasn't called a lot, quarterback scrambles were part of the game. I think those were coached in two ways. Number one, um, Avery Johnson had seven scrambles. Uh, A couple of them were thrown to a receiver, but I'd say five of those seven were just throwaways to avoid a sack, which I think is impressive, Um, not taking a sack and not taking a chance running the ball when nothing was there. But he did have three scrambles that were runs, those three gained forty nine yards, so you'll take sixteen yards of carry any time. One of those was the dynamic TV TD right before halftime, and the other one was a huge. Another one was a huge third down pickup on that last scoring drive. So, those scrambles were big, um, and then the uh, last positive is just that big time drive to to finish the game. You're down. You you the lead's been cut down. It's kind of been back and forth. Everybody's a little bit nervous on the edge of our seats. What's going to happen? In case they goes fourteen plays, eighty-one yards, huge uh, slot fade to to Brown to win to, to kind of ice the game really, uh, give us a two-score lead, and then you get the ball back right away on an interception, and then you go run out the clock and you end the game with the ball and a nine nine-point lead. It's hard to beat that against a what I consider a pretty good team in NC State and one of K State's two ranked bull wins in
1: their history yeah that 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 is a, a fun little uh fact he, he now equals the amount of ranked bull victories uh, of bill snyder um i'm not that is not a shot at bill snyder i god i i know my history i know the history of me on this show and on twitter and all that type of stuff but just saying stuff like that is not meant as a shot at bill snyder neither neither was pointing out the fact that Chris Kleiman already has more top 10 and top 15 victories than Bill Snyder did in his entire career at K-State. That is not a shot. That is me just pointing out the greatness of Chris Kleiman. All right, before we we, we stay on the outline and before I get myself in even, even more trouble with Bill Snyder fans, um, the one thing I want to touch on with you talking about the positives, uh, a lot of folks are trying to, not a lot, I saw a handful – I'm trying to be more responsible when when, when saying stuff like this. Saw so a handful of folks who tried to even detract from Connor Riley and his play calling and him as an offensive coordinator by pointing out that Avery Johnson checked into a couple plays um, that resulted in touchdowns. You can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, which I'm more than open to hearing I'm wrong, but you, you coach football, you're closer to the football program than I am. Avery Johnson isn't going rogue. This isn't a game of NCAA 14 where you're audibling, changing, making plays up uh, completely audibles in modern college football are set up. And those are the pregame meetings saying, Hey, these are, these are the hot, this is, this is what you can check to. These are the handful of things. These are the situations. So while some folks are probably using that to detract from Connor Riley, uh, or maybe just trying to exemplify how great Avery Johnson is, which he should. True freshman, yeah. start, first starters quarterback, making those correct checks—that is awesome but that is stuff that is part of the game planning. That's part of the play calling in general. That is part of the offensive coordinator's duties of putting in the audible plays and then giving the quarterback freedom to do that. Am I correct or am I just now going out of my way to defend Connor Riley because people think he might come on my podcast one day?
0: No, you're I'd say you're 100% correct. Like those checks are part of the game plan. If to me, those checks are an encouragement for Connor Riley as the offense coordinator, that you have taken a true freshman, you've coached him up, you've game-planned, uh, knowing what NC State does in situations. The first one on fourth down when they sent the house, Avery said they'd practice that, all bowl practice, getting preparing for that game, and they knew in that situation this was what you check to. That's part of the game plan. That's part of Connor Riley doing his job and then giving his true freshman quarterback the freedom to make that decision. To me, that's only an encouragement to me. That's not a knock at all on Connor Riley. Uh, And and it's encouraging that he sees what Avery Johnson's capable of and then coaching him up to be put in that situation. Even the the, uh, the last check on the slot fade, I think that was the check too, which was a, a fake on his own run play out of that same formation I talked about earlier. Um, just an absolutely great play call. And you get there, the offensive line you, to the line of scrimmage. Johnson sees it. He knows he's got one on one with a slot, and he knows he's got his favorite receiver in Jason Brown. Let him throw the ball. And that's to me only encouraging that, that, that. Conor Riley is going to prepare a game, good game plan. He's going to have an offensive formation that really dices the NC State defense. Maybe he's a little slow to adjust in the second half, but he gets that adjustment done and then he puts his players in position to make plays, especially a dynamic quarterback like Avery Johnson. All right. uh,
1: Again, this is not – I'm not all sunshines and and rainbow. Uh, Let's talk about the negatives because, again, they were there. Um, I was frustrated um, as all hell, just like everyone else was with that third quarter. Uh, I will point out that is not uh, a unique thing with Chris Kleiman uh, third quarters. Again, he – very slow third quarters now with three different offensive coordinators. Um, but but let's talk about the negatives. I, I assume most of them will will be in that third quarter. But uh, after you went back and charted stuff, what, what were some things you came away with and like, okay, we, we need to figure that out uh, before 2024's football season?
0: Yeah, I mean, as as good as the first half run game was, the second half run game was, was pretty bad before that last drive. It's in that last drive to run off the clock. Second half run game, not counting the last drive to run out the clock, gained 73 yards on 17 snaps. That's 4.3 yards per play and only 29% success rate running the ball. So, obviously, there's some issues there. Um, first pair of drives in particular, we kind of went back to some of the stuff that was working in the first half, tried a zone run on first down. We tried a stretch run where we pull Gillum from the center spot on first down. Both those went nowhere. One of those drives was a three and out. Um, but four of those drives, we had a first down on. And that's to me, that's kind of the mix is that generally, if you have three drives where you pick up a first down once, one of those drives is going to turn into a pretty good drive. And, and just happened that all three, um, even though we get picked up one first down, did not work out. Um, so that that was a bit of a bad luck. And then missing on what I think were probably a few pretty good play calls that we just missed on in those series of, of, I think it was, you know, probably 20 plays in there uh, that weren't very, that we weren't very good. Um, The other thing I would go back to the drop back passing game in general was not very good this season. uh, And it wasn't very good in this game, 5.5 yards per play on 14 snaps and a 21% success rate. Anytime, you know, you don't want your success rate under 40%, but if it's under 30%, under 25%, that's just not very good. So, um, Got to work on that. um Now I will say, I did appreciate, you know, going back to connor O'Reilly's interview. Um, he pointed out that he was not great in that situation, and, and that was one of his self critiques. Is he could have been better in the third quarter. He could have been a little bit quicker adjusting. He he pointed out that um, NC State was going zero cover and bringing pressure, um, so no safety help there. Just said, hey, you're not going to beat us. We're going to load the box. We're going to bring everybody. And good luck. And for a while there, we just case K-State just didn't do very well against that. Um, I also – this was interesting too. Um, Riley pointed out that he was on the phone previously that week with NC State's defensive staff talking about the game. And so, to me, that's just a guy that wants to learn. Um, I think it's very insightful that he's willing to do that, wanting to improve. And he knows – obviously they have a good relationship. I think our defensive staff has met with their defensive staff even um, to go over scheme stuff that we've incorporated from their three-man front. So, But to me, that's just really cool. Here's a guy that's saying, hey, I'm doing everything I can to learn and get better. Um, My other Conor Riley point is I'm with him. I like an old-fashioned without any of the old-fashioned ingredients in it as well. So Conor Riley's right on. Even though I was a bit shocked that Colin Klein is an old fashioned guy. Like that one, that one threw me for a loop for there.
1: <laughs> yes. And, and we've referenced it a, f- a few times. I'm just going to say it again, go to the game, uh, podcast page, go to the hour one from Friday, January 5th. Um, and, and go and listen to that entire interview. Mitch Fortner doing really? an amazing job. Uh, Mitch Fortner is one of the best in the biz. Um, 100% worth your time to go back and listen to it may, may need to even I'm, I may even tweet it out um you know re- replying to this show tweet um I I like an old-fashioned by the way um I made a great batched old-fashioned for uh my Christmas cocktail consumption um but you know what Connor Riley uh if he just wants whiskey that is fine by me and also uh shout out to Manhattan Brewing Company I already talked about them but uh condor the magnificent you know what what offensive coordinator in the country has his own double hazy ipa at the local brewery i don't think any of them so shout out to connor
0: the other shout out is that they have bullet cocktails on tap oh 100 which
1: which which again you 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 will drink uh you'll drink uh uh craft beers I, I I've done it with you multiple times sure. but but I think that uh you know they 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 have to be one hundred percent up on your list and say a bullet in there as well, so shout out to Manhattan Brewing Company before we talk about Matt Wells, the introduction um nice little crowd pop at the basketball game by the way um let's talk about Charlie Hustle, so look folks, I think by the time you guys are listening and don't get mad at me if I have the dates wrong, but I think by the time you guys are listening. They would have just dropped probably the day before, probably on the 9th, maybe on the 10th when you guys are listening to this. But they have a couple new designs uh, on Charlie Hustle that are K-State basketball-centric. Now, Jerome Tang maybe jumped the gun a little bit on Christmas Eve, showing off uh, maybe the new hoodie that's going to drop. Then been teasing a new uh, T-shirt with the uh, nickname that, um, you know, our guest – coined and came up with the octagon of doom uh check them out also if it already happened get to bosco's boys twitter account x account whatever uh we will be doing our january giveaway after it drops so if you maybe want the new t-shirt come on over to bosco's boys twitter account and see if you can win it all right let's talk about matt hustle or not matt hustle matt wells i bet he lo- he would look good in charlie hustle crew neck i'm currently wearing one right now it's crew neck season uh, great crew necks joggers, the varsity jackets. It's all so great. Shout out Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh com and storefront on the country club plaza here in Kansas city. All right, Matt Wells, first and foremost, uh, I, I want to talk about his history with quarterbacks because he will be coaching up Avery. Um, what has stuck out to you with his history? Uh, you know, coaching up the most important position in sports. Yeah, it's a
0: great question. Um, You know, I I think what you have to look at is quarterback health has been a big part of when he has had good offenses and when he's had offenses that weren't as good. Um, You go back to his Utah State days um, as both quarterback coach, offense coordinator, and then head coach. Um, He had Chucky Keaton when he started there. Um, The one season he had Chucky Keaton healthy, And he played all 13 games. He threw for over 3,300 yards, 8.3 yards per pass, almost a 68% completion percentage, 27 touchdowns, nine interceptions, top 30 F-plus offense. So really, really good offense when Chucky Keaton was healthy. The next three seasons, Keaton played seven games and three games and then seven games. So he's struggled with his health. Uh, the offense was in the 50s, those three seasons in F-plus because he had to play some other guys. The, obviously, the backup wasn't – I mean, Chucky e. Keaton was the guy they were planning on playing. He didn't play much. I mean, Chuckie Chuck Keaton's career, he passed for over 700 yards, 7,000 yards, almost 7,400 yards, uh, 62 touchdowns, 24 interceptions in his career, um, 63% completion percentage. So he had a good career when he was healthy. He was the guy they were counting on. He just had some bad luck seasons. Um, he had one season with Kent Myers was the main quarterback. That was obviously the worst season. They went three and nine and they had an offense rank from the nineties. So uh, one bad season where they didn't have a guy. And then they found a guy by the name of Jordan love who just led the Packers to the playoffs. Yeah. Who, so, who's
1: this Jordan love character? I mean,
0: geez. And he, I mean, he was directly recruited from Matt Wells. Um, well, and I and his, think
1: Matt Wells and his family was up in uh, green Bay yesterday yes. uh, to, to see Jordan love. Uh, get to the playoffs something that uh, Aaron Rodgers wasn't able to do. Um, so yeah, Jordan Love, for sure. new Hall of Fame quarterback. Who's to say?
0: <clears throat> yeah, Jordan Love, I mean, he was 6-7 and seven his first year, not a great offense, only raked 100, so he had two back-to-back seasons where they weren't very good. But that was Jordan Love playing as a true freshman. Um, then the next year he throws for 3,500 yards, 8.6 yards for pass, 64% completion percentage, 32 touchdowns, six interceptions, in the offense goes from 101 to number 12 in the country in the F plus ranking. So, obviously, one of the best seasons in Utah State history um, that year. That I think they went 11 and two. Um, so, I mean, really, that's what landed Matt Wells the job at Texas Tech. Texas Tech, year one, he's got the number one, number 39 offense, not bad. Number 73 defense. Year two is COVID. We all know what that's like. Um, yeah, number sixty offense, not very COVID good. Doesn't matter. <clears throat> and then I think he got a not a very good, fair shake at Texas Tech. They fired him. He was five and three and twenty-one. Had the number that season. Texas Tech finished with the number twenty-five offense in F plus. Um, you look at the quarterbacks there. He turned Jet Duffy into a pretty good player. Twenty-eight hundred yards. Eight point one yards per pass, sixty-five percent completion percentage, eighteen to five TD inter- to, to uh, uh TD to, inter- to interception ratio. He had Bowman, who he's still playing crazily. Bowman had a thousand over a thousand yards um, and sixty-six percent completion, six touchdowns, two interceptions in the three games before he got hurt. He was the guy that first year for texas tech so again injury problems comes up again next season bowman plays again bowman has a pretty good start 1600 yards 6.4 yards per pass 65 percent 10 touchdowns seven interceptions and bowman gets hurt again and then he brings in uh henry Columbia, who actually came from utah state with him who ended up being an okay quarterback thousand yards more of a rusher eight to four td uh touchdown to interception ratio, so not bad. And then finally, he's got a guy named Tyler Shaw, who was a pretty good quarterback that they picked up from Oregon, but again got hurt. Um, But he played a handful of games that last season before uh, Wells was fired, had 800 yards passing, 70% completions, six touchdowns, three interceptions, and nine and a half yards per attempt. So even at Texas Tech, even when he got fired, you look at the quarterback play and you look at the offensive play, um, even with the COVID season thrown in there, he was doing a pretty good job. He had some pretty good offenses and has had some really good quarterbacks and has an eye for really good quarterbacks over his career. And I think, you know, Jordan Love was the main one that really took off, but there were some other ones in his career that I think can you can point to and say, this guy can coach a little bit. And
1: the fun thing is, and it's just a fun little game for folks to do when you have free time, look at what the quarterbacks did with Matt Wells yeah. versus without Matt Wells. Just a fun little game. I'm not going to spoil anything, uh, but literally every single one of them had their best uh, games, best seasons with Matt Wells. So uh, just just a fun little activity if you're bored. Um, all right, the, the, the next thing I want to go to, we, we broke down the X's and O's. Uh, what we saw from, you know, granted, just one game with Connor Riley. Um, but what would you like to see Matt Wells bring from his own bag of tricks or maybe even stuff that he may have uh, been taking from his time with Oklahoma as a, as an analyst on their staff? And what would you like to see him bring along to K-State?
0: Yeah, my, going back to when Connor Riley was hired, um, one of my big, biggest things was we, I was hoping we would bring in somebody with new blood with passing game experience. And I think Matt Wells definitely fits that bill. Um, It's interesting. He played his offenses played at a really slow pace early at Utah state quickened up. They were very fast paced. His last year with Jordan love and then super fast paced at Texas tech. So he's got, experience with slow pace and fast pace, although I think he went more fast paced toward the end of his career, which I think is also something we want to look at because that was something Colin Klein did this year as well. We, we were our fastest pace in the climbing era by far. And then I like you, you mentioned Jeff Levy. He's also worked with Sonny Cumby. He's worked with David Yost. He's worked with Josh Heupel. So he's worked with some pretty good offensive minds in addition to himself in his career um, just from Utah State, Texas Tech. So I like that set of experiences, very diverse, some different versions of air raid, some quick pass game, some screen game, which I think we can incorporate into our offense, which will be very good. Um, and then you throw that and you mix it with Connor Riley, who's got, you know, i already talked about his diversity in his run game. Um, you've got a pretty good mix. You also have a guy that has used a kind of a diverse H tight end spot as well that was I mean kind of a key part of his offense so that fits super well with what we've got and the talent we've got with guys like Oakley and Swanson and guys coming up as well so it's a very good fit with what Kleiman has done in his offense as well so I think there's a lot of things there that are are really good fits with what K-State wants to do and you incorporate that with Connor Riley and I think you've got pretty good ideas for what this offense can be moving forward. All right. So
1: so you're bringing in Matt Wells. You have that good X's and O's experience. I think going to be a good quarterback coach as well. Um, all in all, if you had to put a letter grade, you have to put your teacher hat on. Uh, you can be a tough grader. You can be an easy grader. You can do whatever you want. How would you grade, you know, the internal promotion and bringing in Matt Wells from the outside to, I mean, he has all sorts of titles, co-OC, quarterback coach, associate head coach, you know, what? you know, all that type of stuff. How would you grade the uh you know the the attempt to fill
0: the colin Klein void I, I would say at worst b plus maybe a minus you know i i I was at a b with with riley and and I was waiting to see who we hired. i think adding in Matt wells moves it up to at least an a minus to me um I think you got a pair of good minds running this offense excuse me a pair of good minds running this offense. You've got pretty I mean, Connor Riley's a very experienced coach with Kleiman. And then you got Matt Wells, who's an experienced coach outside of Kleiman, and worked with pretty good offensive minds himself. So I, I think you've got a pretty good pair. Um, um I, I think it's about as good as we have we could have gotten with Klein leaving and going to Texas A and M. if you would have told me then what we would have gotten if we would have Landed Riley and added Matt Wells. And, that, and I wasn't surprised. I think Matt Wells was a name we all thought of early just because, number one, he wasn't coaching. He was an analyst at Oklahoma. And, number two, we know that he's friends with, uh, with with Kleiman. So it made sense. I think it's a good hire. Um, you know, there were other n- names mentioned. Um, Willie Corn was one. I, we've talked about Willie Corn a little bit. You know, looking at Willie Corn, that's an offense that runs the ball. 66% of the time I don't think we want that so um, I liked the intrigue of a young guy that maybe could have been a dynamic recruiter that that would have been my only thing if you can get a guy with diverse experience that's really young and maybe a dynamic recruiter but that was going to be tough that was going to be hard to do so I think Kleiman did this as bad as well as possible in, in putting these two guys together
1: all right, not on the outline, uh, but let's make some folks mad again. Um, what do you think it is about the psychology of K State fans? I have a theory, uh, but but I'm curious curious what it is for you because when Courtney Messingham was fired and uh, you know Matt Wells was without a job, um, if that name was floated around, people were livid, people were pissed, they were ready to melt down. Um, when Colin Klein left. I I threw it out there on the message board. People were pissed. They're like, no, we we can't be doing that. And even when uh, the conversation about a uh, co-OC was going to be brought around, I I posted a picture of Matt Wells, and uh, I may have known something. Maybe I was just messing around. I I (laughs) didn't want to get in trouble, so I was like, I don't necessarily know anything. Who knows? I'll let you guys all come to that conclusion yourselves. Um, and, And again, the initial reaction was like, oh, no, oh, no. Um, but now once, once it became, um, accepted news, once it started leaking out, I I would say it probably met close to like a 95% approval rating. So before I give my theory, um, I'm going to ask you, why is it that basically up until Derek, uh, said it was going to happen. Other folks picked up as well. Um, why do you think that is? Let's place arm armchair
0: psychologist. It, it is a great question. I I don't know exactly the answer. I, I do think we have a a small but loud section of fans that almost enjoys playing contrarian to the popular uh, opinion. I think that happened with Matt Wells. I think it happened with Colin Klein when he was hired. I see it with uh, this. Dante Cephas, who sounds like a very good proper a probability to be a, a wide receiver transfer from the portal from Penn State and Kent State. And people just like, well, this guy's not even good. Like, what are you talking about? I mean, he had a 1,200-yard season. He's got over 2,000 yards the last three years playing G5 and Power 5 football. Like, if, if people think K-State's going to go land some Power 5 conference player that was all-league and had 2,000 receiving yards and 10 touchdowns. Like, that's just not gonna happen. Like, I think we've gotta be realistic about where we're at. I don't, sometimes we are. I, I think there's a, a segment of this stupid phrase of selling for mediocrity part of our fan base that anytime you don't think we're Alabama, you're selling for mediocrity, which is just silly. Like, I I think you can be realistic about where K-State is in the scope of college football, Uh, a bottom quarter, bottom fifth budget in the power five ranks. And, you know, we've talked about the phrase punching above our weight. K-State has punched above our weight for a long time in both football and basketball. Considering what we have money-wise, where we're at, You know, I I know K-State people love Manhattan, but if you're from Chicago, you may not love Manhattan, Kansas until you get there. If you're from Dallas, Texas or New York City or wherever, you may may not love it. And we we know we see the kids come in like Marquise Noel is from New York City who loved Manhattan, Kansas, but that's not for everybody. And I think it's a mix of all that stuff mixed together. And and I, I, I may see kind of your take on it, but that's kind of where I land with and, and I I do think it's a minority that's super loud that makes this happen uh but but it is an annoying loud minority yeah so so my my theory
1: that the reason why everyone was worried about it uh the first time uh when we went with Colin Klein instead uh was we were coming off of um Courtney messingham a, a you know frustrating offense <laughs> and we kick Texas tech's ass every single year they're like well if they're firing that guy why would we want to bring him in um and then I think there's an element of you know you talk about the the kind of vocal for I think some folks also are like oh why why are we going to bring in one of coach Kleiman's friends we saw it the last time you know him and Courtney Messingham good friends it wasn't a good offense so I think there's a little bit of that but I think the reason why things turned around um And even from the the rumors of Colin leaving and, oh, is Matt Wells going to be a name uh, in the initial kind of turn the nose up. I I do think Connor Riley's success with Avery Johnson versus a very good uh, uh, defense in NC State, I think that calmed everyone down saying, okay, it's still going to look like this offense that that we have really loved the last couple of years. Um, we just did something to a a a very good defense. So if Connor Riley's gonna be involved, and then we can cherry pick, you know, the stuff from Matt Wells that are gonna make us feel good, that's gonna calm enough of the naysayers down that I think everyone fell in line um once it happened. So I I I think there's a a a big mix of all of that that um people were apprehensive the first time it was sounding like it could happen a couple of years ago and even before the bowl game when folks were worried. But, but I think that bowl game performance mixed with, uh, you know, hey, it, it still looks good even without Colin, um and that that's going to be around. I think that's
0: what calmed everyone down. Yeah, I, I think that's probably – that's a good take. I like that. I think that makes yeah, a lot so- of sense
1: who knows. All right, final question. What's the one thing you're going to be most interested in seeing from the offense uh next uh, August when they kick off? You know, it's it's one of those uh years where we're going to have two bye weeks because uh Memorial Day or is it Labor Day? Whichever one's in, in September, um it's early. So we're getting a kickoff in August and we're going to see two bye weeks. So it's going to be a 15-week or a 14-week regular season. Um, but uh, UT Martin, August 31st, what's the number one thing you're going to be most anxious or interested in saying in that game?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think a popular take would be what does the quarterback run game look like since it was limited against NC State? But that's not mine. Um, I think it's what is this passing game going to look like and what can we do to raise the success? Because I think <clears> – <throat> The drop back game, as I mentioned before, was a struggle this season. It was not very good in the bowl game. But even this season with Will Howard, um, even though it was a third of our offense, it was uh, had under a 40% success rate this year. And I think that was a key why this was not a Big 12 championship game team. Last year's success rate with Will Howard at quarterback was 50%. So we went from a fifty percent success rate to about thirty nine percent in the drop back pass game. And last year it was about thirty percent of our offense. This year is about thirty three percent of our offense. So that passing game must get better. Um, you also want to see the yards per attempt increase. Last year with Will Howard, yards per attempt we had we were at eight point eight, which is pretty darn good. Is that, just, is
1: that just Will Howard or the entire season? No, because no I, that was Will
0: Howard. That okay. was Will Howard's number. And this year, Will Howard dropped to 7.4 yards per attempt. So that's over a yard per attempt drop in the passing game. So, again, that goes back to what I mentioned before our, our yards per play, our explosiveness dropped this year. So, I think to really bring out the dynamic nature of Avery Johnson, the passing game has to be better. It's got to be more explosive, and it's got to be more consistent with a higher success rate. So that is what I'm going to watch next year. If if this passing game um, can get better and improve, and Matt Wills can add some new ideas to what we do, um, and we can, I think we need to add at least one more wide receiver to the mix, if not two, and I think Cephas would fit that bill as a, as a good talent to add in. That is the key to next year being – Season like this one, or a season that we challenge to go back to the big 12 title game again.
1: I absolutely love it, Jimmy. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, why don't you tell all the boneheads? I can't imagine any of them aren't following or <laughs> aware of what you're doing, but tell the boneheads whatever you want, plug whatever you want, say whatever you want.
0: Yeah, so, so Twitter, I'm going to put out some more. I did. On KSO, I did over 60 gifts from the game. I did a full breakdown of almost every offensive play. I've been putting some of those out um, on Twitter. I'll probably put a few more out over the next couple of days. Um, so watch for that. Um, Basketball is heating up. We're getting into Big 12 play. KSA just coming off a big win over UCF, even though UCF's not very good, but it's nice to beat a bad team bad. Like we haven't done that often this year. So uh, we get to go to. West Virginia this week and, and another road trip to Texas tech, I think it will be a fun trip. So I'll be posting stuff about that this week coming up. Um, So, so check those out, check out KSO. If you've got a subscription, there's some good stuff on there. Good discussion on there, but otherwise on Twitter, I'll be posting stuff and, and you can follow uh, a lot of game stats stuff there. I absolutely love it. I hope folks are listening to this happy um, with
1: the West Virginia game um if you guys are listening and you're mad about it then uh i am too and uh expect a lot of extra spring football stuff in january i guess i guess winter football yeah. talk uh, but hopefully True. we won by like 15 over um osborne an osborne man um shout out That's to right osborne, osborne county, county. Uh, i don't i don't know how many osborne listeners we have but i have a lot of love <laughs> for osborne um so shout out to osborne so Um, That's all we have. Friday, I will be talking about that game. We'll touch on the women's game as well, and maybe even a uh, possible wide receiver edition. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Uh, So that's all we have. I hope everyone's being safe with this weather and enjoying the start to their new year. For Jimmy Goheen, the best in the world. For Chauncey, the best dog in the world. My name's Scott McFarlane. I want to tell you all, we love you, and go Cats. Hey.
0: To the purple, hail to the white, wild cat in spirit, wild cat in fight, hail alma mater from sea to sea. U.K. State Wildcats for alma mater fights. Glory in the combat for the purple and the white. Faithful to our colors we will ever be. a Fighting, ever fighting for a Wildcat victory. Fight, 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 fight. Network.